On this week on AI Podcast in 26.1 Minutes, we have Scott Dreger, an old friend of mine. Not so old, but I've known him for a long time. And he is at Quotient. Is that how you say it, Scott? Yeah, Quotient. Quotient. And he's uh, he's in charge of the AI transformation tool. Um, so there's this is a product that I used back in my heyday and drug marketing days. And I think it's grown since 1997, I'm sure. Uh, welcome to the show, Scott. Well, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Don. I'm definitely happy to be here today. I've uh, been working in AI and with an AI team that's way smarter than me. But one of the things I was hoping to uh, talk about today is some of the dumb people you guys are going to run into, because I know this is a, this is definitely a podcast for the smart people that you talk about your general <laughs> adversarial networks and, and, and stuff that maybe freaks out some of the people who have to pay for your projects. Hey, hi, Scott. Nice to meet you. And, uh, We'll we'll call them less experienced or studied people. How's that? Uh, yes, differently focused. Yeah. So, what is your focus these days, Scott? I mean, give us a not necessarily an ad for your, your business, but you know, what are you besides pinball machines? What else are you interested in? Uh, well, one of the things we're interested definitely not to not to give a commercial, but we were a uh, we're a leading solution provider in in our industry. But we found that for every deal we were winning, we were losing as many deals to customers who said, I just can't overcome the technical debt from my old solution. So not that it wasn't broke and they didn't want to fix it, but it was just too expensive for them to fix. So our team had like a hackathon about two years ago. And we said, you know what, if we use some AI, ML, NLP technology, maybe we can radically reduce that technical debt hurdle so the customers who want to purchase our products don't have to be encumbered by products they bought 10 or 15 or 20 years ago in heavily regulated industries. What what kind of customers are we talking about, Scott? I'd be really interested in learning that. Our customers are uh, banks, insurance companies who are doing what we call customer communications. So uh, correspondence, if you get correspondence from your health insurer or a new insurance policy from uh, your homeowner, auto or health insurer, or complex bank transactions like mortgages, uh, basically the, the entire gamut. Our, our customers do about a half a trillion customer communications a year with our software. Uh, but we have a bunch of new stuff and they have a lot of old software and it was just too expensive to get off. So we turned to AI and we got some amazing results. So Hopefully, I can help your your audience uh, learn how to kind of maybe hasten some of their projects or think about AI in a more practical way. Yeah, I like the term like turn to AI, and um, how do you make that transition? What is the what are you in before you're transitioning, and what does it look like afterward? Well, before before some of our the people I work with consider AI, they just look at a giant pile of work and they think how hard it is to do the way they would do it as, as a human. And once we start to make a transition to AI, we realize that if you just conceive the of the work differently, AI might be a better tool set because it can do some different things way faster than, than humans could, could ever think of it. One of my... One of my peers says it's like the Arnold Schwarzenegger coming back at Terminator 2 is a good Terminator, but people are still scared of him. Is it 
primarily rules-based kind of automation or what kind of AI are you applying? Uh, we're using uh, we're using machine learning to instead of write. This is something that Brian and I used to do way back in in, in the in the day. We used to design customer communications that in, at the time would print out by the you know tens of thousands to millions uh, of customer communications things that went into your mailbox. Okay. Uh, but now that's digital. Uh, what we're doing right now is we use AI to have an opposite approach to writing new customer communications. So instead of saying, what are the rules that compose the communication? So what are the special insurance policy rules for people in Rhode Island that have homeowners coverage? Right now, uh, or five years ago, humans would just say, I need to find all these rules. And then some people like Brian or I back in the day would create a, a, a template in a, in a package that would create that insurance policy. How, how do you compare to say, Textio, if you're familiar with them at all, that's uh, Kieran Snyder's um, startup here in Seattle that's helping people with their job descriptions, for example. Yeah, we're doing something a, a little bit differently. We're taking a bulk text. So instead of, uh, instead of converting from the old technology to the new technology by having a technology expert look at it, we're actually reading the output. So we're helping, uh, right now we're helping four large banks and two large insurers rewrite their new communication portfolios by just analyzing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of pages that they're already sending out. So basically we're going to the archive file and eating everything we can out of the archive file. And the AI, the ML and NLP technology is splitting it up to figure out what the basic content blocks would be to rebuild a more efficient uh, design to create those same communications. At the t at, along the way, we're finding typographical errors, words that are out of compliance with the regulations, and uh, erroneous text that, um, that that is incorrect. And you, and, uh, go ahead, Don. Well, um, Scott, you wanted to talk about what the solutions look like, rather than getting particularly into the nitty gritty of implementation. So, the uh, result of your work. What what is that end result? What's the goals of your customers? Yeah, that's that's definitely the right way to look at it. Don, uh, I always think we need to talk about results. So if I just walk into my customers, and this was a mistake I was making a year ago, and this is something I believe the audience can take heart uh, take to heart. I was walking in talking about how the technology was working, and it freaked out a lot of people. They didn't want to give data samples. They you know, maybe felt bad that they didn't understand some of the lexicon our team was throwing around, especially when I brought in some of our, our heavy hitters. All of our developers are in the Czech Republic, and we brought them over to the U.S. to visit and interact with customers a few times this year. Freaked out the customers every time. So now we start to, we talk about what the AI does for you. And this in terms of any project, like, does it matter uh, what kind of math is behind your model? No, it matters if they're getting something that can help them. Yeah, so the outcome, right? It's, it's the outcome focused. And then um, how proficient is your team? And I know some of your team, you know, I've, I have the EDP certification that's expired 20 years ago, I'm sure. But how proficient are they to talking about prediction and accuracy and things like that? Uh, well, one of, the, one of the things that we still struggle with is uh, – we balance 
we balanced a few different things uh, together as we're as we're coming to our model. We're balancing how much variability we're willing to tolerate on a, a block of text, and then almost also how much variability we're willing to tolerate in the structure of a grouping of those text blocks to make a new um, make a new layout template for a, a customer communication or an insurance policy or a mortgage document. So we'll run the model several times to come up with something that is uh, more optimal for the business. But the business people that we talk to, they always get freaked out. Like, well, why don't you do it right the first time? And we're trying to explain, well, the AI technology is gonna analyze it differently if we give it a little bit different parameters where we're testing the, the creativity that we're allowing the, the tool to, to have. And we'll are, run it are I'm sorry about that interrupting. Um, are you having to teach folks about predictive and probability math, for example? Yeah, we we're definitely trying not to do that now. Dennis. Okay, we used to okay. try to do that, and that failed. Right, that's interesting. Yeah. So, what do you do when it gets it wrong? Uh, how do you facilitate that conversation with your clients? Is that you know that's the nature of it? Is it's going to get it wrong sometimes? So. Walk us through that, you know, and I think the audience would appreciate that too. You're generating some content or you're analyzing some content, probably using natural language processing, machine learning, and it gets it right sometimes, but occasionally, hopefully not very often, it gets it wrong. What do you do? What do you, how do you have that conversation with them and what does it look like? Well, the first thing we try to do is try and zone in and get like t-shirt sizing right so that we know if it's small, medium, or large. So we use all of the settings that we know from the past. We look at the documents. Uh, basically, we train our we train the, uh, the ML to read a document, separate one page from another, and then we start putting some categories on there. Usually, we're pretty okay then. Then we'll just set up some, some generic settings that say we're not too concerned about how many blocks of text we get, but we are very concerned about how many templates. And then we see what happens. We're looking for variability and uh, potential places we can combine what were separate elements of, you know, paragraphs or, or groupings of paragraphs. We're trying to find smaller combinations that are more reusable. Uh, and sometimes we'll find that we get too many categories and it's too hard to manage for the customers. They say, well, could you could you get fewer categories? And we'll run it, and now we'll get fewer categories that have more variability. So, well, in, in terms of ML, the whole point is to be able to support many categories. For example, that's way beyond the imagination of an individual marketer to kind of tune um, on a one-to-one -one basis for a large audience, right? But you, you're saying they're actually wanting to tune down that capability. Uh, sometimes up, sometimes down. So if we if we just said, look at everything this insurance company output uh, for the entire month of, of November, uh, we'll do that analysis pretty frequently. And we might find that there's three categories for us, but maybe those three categories don't match the business. Maybe they want to separate post-sale communications from pre-sale communications. So we may run it again with a few different a few different settings so that they can have it match some of the human needs later. Because we're trying to rationalize, you know, 
tens of millions of pieces of output so that it's easier to generate those in the future so that we can de-skill some of the management of the content by A, reducing the number of pieces and B, reducing complexity within those pieces. When you talk about categories, is that um, different customer journeys? Yeah, that's that's a great way to look at it, John, because we do a lot of work with customer journeys. Um, usually it matches more to the business org chart. Sometimes at, at banks, there's a clear wall between uh, an old, the old bank, the core bank, and then a bank they maybe acquired last year, or a couple of years ago. Maybe those two systems are not allowed to intermingle. So even though the documents might have the same logo on them, they may need to be separated in terms of design and operations teams. Is this sort of like the Bank of America Merrill Lynch kind of uh, division? Oh yeah, we have, yeah we have a lot of uh, our banking and insurance company customers. They keep buying new banks and insurance companies, which creates a slew of challenges for the IT people. We see AI as the fastest way to integrate their old stock communications into a new portfolio because the AI will will come up with some surprising analysis. We call it the AI surprise of the oh, 10 or 15 customers we've worked with now. Everyone has been given some very weird surprise from the AI. And some of them got freaked out pretty bad. Uh, one of our uh, uh, retirement firms we're working with, we analyzed their their text and we found all instances but one had the word not in it. So we uh, looked at that. Semantically, that seems strange. Yeah, what it was is a non-compliant piece of text where the retirement firm said, it, in all cases except one, it said, we are not responsible for the item they were not responsible for. In one case, they omitted the not through an error. Mm. And they were actually claiming responsibility for something they were not supposed to be responsible for. That and, that could be dangerous. Yeah, that could be millions of dollars in liability right there. Well, there was the New York Times article about the dairy company that um, was out a lot because of their labor agreement because of Oxford comma. Yeah. So, okay. Mm. Yeah, so we're, we're helping find that. Uh, and at scale, the AI can do that. Now, if you walked into anybody who was in that room and uh, that owned the old legacy technology, they would they would think of it in, as an old school, like expert systems approach saying, if I walk back my logic tree, I will be able to replicate the design in the new package because the rules are important. But by using AI, we can go through millions and millions of pages and find out which rules are no longer necessary or which ones just were never used. And Brian might have more insight into this since he, he interacts with probably the same kind of customers as you, you do. But um, what, what are the challenges in working with your customers and their, their in-house tech and what their approaches and their experience is as far as AI or ML? Yeah, and I, I, to pile on top of that, you know, knowing Scott for a long time, um, you've always been able to educate people. I always found that you're a good educator um, for customers. What led you to down this path to being kind of the AI representative? And is part of your job to educate the customers in this case? 
Yeah, my job uh, within the company is to uh, speed up the transformations from whatever they were doing 10 or 15 years ago to what they're doing now. And part of that is on education. I know one of the things we talked about before we started was really how, how to package progress in a way that makes sense for more people. Because if I walked into to any of to anybody in our in my customer list or sphere, I would uh, I would probably not get any takers if I said I want to talk about bringing some artificial intelligence and natural language processing into your operation. They would just say, "No, that's not in the budget for 2020. Come back next year." But if we said, "Hey, do you have some? Do you have some?" applications you've been maintaining for 10 or 15 years, they all say yes. Wow. So in the last 10 or 15 years, especially health insurers, your regulations swung pretty heavy and then they got pretty loose and then they got heavy again and then they got a little bit looser and then a lot looser. So if your application has been alive for over 10 years and you're a healthcare provider, you have some old code in there. Let's go and actually use some AI to analyze every piece of output you're doing right now. Now we can start to get a better sense of what's actually used in the actual structure of their code instead of the, the theoretical one that maybe an expert system thinker would, would believe was actually in place. Yeah, and you, when you say use AI, uh, I wanna just clarify for the audience and for myself as well. Are you talking about using something that's built into your software or are you talking about literally taking the data, making it available to a data scientist to run through the documents and to do comparisons and stuff like that using machine learning. Uh, we actually built uh, we built our own uh, UIs on top of uh, on top of some generally available uh, generally available uh, AI technology. So we use just a open source stuff. Uh, our approach is only probably twenty to thirty percent AI, but 60 to 70 percent ripping apart the uh the communications at scale and then uh and then we just send it out to uh to the ai we do make it available for data scientists but it's not something we sell we don't sell the ai it's just tools we use to get the job done faster which is what i'm i'm hoping the audience will kind of latch on to is ai is a tool that can make some projects that you think is not possible today are entirely possible for your organization so what is it yeah, what do you train these tools on regarding, like, so, you know, machine learning it requires data. So does it, is it completely unsupervised in that it has no labels associated with it and you're just doing, you know, the kind of clustering correlation analysis? Or is it, do you ship a pre-trained tool, tool embedded in your product? Uh, we have a, we have a pre-trained tool. It basically uh, looks for paragraphs for for lack of a better term it just compares paragraphs and looks for variability within those paragraphs like i'm not the i'm not the smart ai guy that knows how it works but what we basically do is look for large strings and look where they deviate and then get back on track if something's 80 percent similar to something we've already seen we understand we we focus on learning what's variable within it and then we, we make some decisions on that. We track those variances and, and send that off to the data scientist people. But since this is fairly simple customer communications, we don't need a, a real strong data science. We just look at it and it says, oh, the deviations are gold, silver, bronze. 
platinum and black. These are our credit cards. Got it. We're done. Uh, okay. We're just we're, we're just solving small practical problems and not just. I mean, I, I work in customer communications for my whole career, so I got twenty some years in that, so I got a passion for it. But this can help anything that you have in terms of a black box. So if you if you have any application that's helping you do something with any sort of incumbent software that's 10 or 20 years old, you've had a lot of regulatory swings. You can use AI technology in the same way uh, to just fundamentally rethink your approach. Like, do you have 10 years of archive data? Well, you can probably just start mining that and build a better application to make that stuff today. Seems like you could be selling to law firms who are looking to automate some of their processes. Yeah, law, law firms have a lot of a lot of text issues, and it's very expensive to pay a lawyer to read something. And comparatively, an AI is much cheaper to to read something. If you're ever interested in investigating that um, kind of customer segment, um, I'd be happy to introduce Dan Lear. He'd been okay. a director of industry at Avo a legal tech firm here in Seattle that a hedge fund or a P fund purchased about a year and a half ago. And Dan is uh, a passionate advocate for lawyers to become more technologically savvy and also automate their processes with tech when they can. I like where you're going with that, Don. Uh, so Scott, on you know, kind of the application level from a consumer perspective, let's switch it outside of your work reference, but as your personal reference, are you someone who plugs in a lot of you know home devices and you know you use a lot of automation yourself or what's your overall reaching perspective as a consumer in the space? I was playing AI Dungeon 2 on my phone yesterday. Does that help? I don't know what that is. I don't either. Uh, it's the uh, uh, the AI text-based adventure game. They just it just had a Patreon come out last week, I think. So it's kind of kind of fun. Uh, but yeah, I plug in a lot of devices at home, and I would definitely give the AI Dungeon 2 a plug-in. It's available on the App Store, coming to Google Play in the next next week, I think, um, where it's all all neural net, natural language processing to do a, a real-time fantasy adventure. What's your home assistant at home or your smart speaker? Uh, I, you know, I use a lot of them. My kids use Siri all the time, but I use uh, Alexa. I have all the Philips Hue lights. I walk into my basement and say play pinball it puts the the lights uh, appropriately on, on all of my machines it turns all my machines on and gives me my IFPA ranking I I want to go back to uh, something you were talking about where you don't talk with your customers about the math any longer and what strikes me on that is every startup, coming out of Silicon Valley claims to be AI something, whether or not um, that's particularly true. It sounds to me like it's more effective for you to sell a solution when you kind of gloss over the AI under the hood. Yeah, we just focus on the benefits. We're not an AI company. We don't say we're, we're, we're selling AI products or AI-enabled services. We just say that Hey, last year, our implementation team would have shown up without this tool. This year, by using these tools, we're able to do customer migrations 50 to 70% faster. So if you, did are, a, uh, if you did a airport hotel series on how to make bucks in AI, the headline would be never mention AI? 
Yeah, AI is AI is a tool you use to deliver customers an end product, whether that's uh, you're giving them something faster, whether you're giving them more of something, whether you're giving them better of something. Uh, the AI oftentimes at the project level is not about the AI. It's about what you did with the AI. In my case, uh, some of my customers may have had to manage thousands of customer templates in their call center to make correspondence. Now they're down to 200. Last year, they would have taken maybe a two-year project to integrate them. Now it's a one-year. So we don't we talk about the AI in, in the sense that we say, last year is different from this year because we're using AI to get you better results faster or faster time to value. Don't focus on the AI because AI for the sake of AI is not going to play well with the PMO office or the procurement professionals that are running the operation. But there is a metric that does matter. So if you rephrase your AI expertise into how you can benefit what they need, you're going to have a lot more time. You're going to have a lot more success. You're going to have a lot more money. And Brian, Scott's a and mentor of yours. Are you learning something for your approach with customers at Mavenwave with this conversation? Well, I, I, I think so. I think that... You know, I was I was just reevaluating how much time and effort we spend trying to keep keep our customers focused on the net value of something. Um, we tried to include the, the whole conversation about understanding predictive uh, capabilities, but in the use case that Scott has, it sounds more like an automation perspective and a huge value play on how much money could be saved by adding automation to the product. So I think that, I, I think what I'm learning is there's an appropriate level of understanding that's required in some use cases, and they vary based off of what you're trying to do. So it seems to you, harken, um, I'm sorry, go ahead, Scott. Yeah, and I, I would just build on that one, Brian, you're right. If you're using like some, some fancy, cool predictive stuff, just focus on why that customer needs that prediction. What is it going to do for them if it gets it right? And what's it going to do it wrong for them? It, or what's it going to do poorly if it gets it wrong? So why do they need the prediction? The prediction is so they can, you know, you know not buy romaine lettuce from a, a, the, the wrong farm this month. You know, maybe that's something that's very important to them. This seems to harken back to our conversation with uh, Rachel Tatman, Brian, where kind of the point is you don't need a jet engine to mow the lawn. <laughs> no, no, very good, very good. Um, so just to switch gears a little bit, is it true that you're obsessed with pinball machines? <laughs> <laughs> Possible. Well, how would you measure obsession? <laughs> Do you dedicate 10% of all your earnings to your passion? Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> well, well, Scott, uh, um, I think you know we have enough content to publish a great uh, AI podcast episode uh, here. Uh, but just do you have a last closing statement, uh, how to contact you, or you know something to leave the audience? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, if you ever want to contact me, you can reach me uh, s.drager at quadient.com, scottdrager at gmail.com. And one of the things that, that I would like to have you leave this, uh, this podcast with is AI can make a lot of your projects better. 
So just think about your projects and what parts of your projects may be really difficult. And if you stop and think about it, bring in some AI experience and they can probably approach the task in a way that can structure it differently, deconstruct it differently, so you can get more work done in a faster way. And this is not some theoretical thing in the world of theoretical math and string theory. This can help you on really practical projects right now.